This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Oh, it feels like Friday. It is a Friday. That's good news. There's a lot of sports going on this weekend. We'll get to a lot of it. Of course, the Rockies get going. They get off the win. The uh, Nuggets, perhaps, as Sandy pointed out, punting two games in a row, which I'm 100% for, by the way. If that's I'm glad you used that term because I don't know if I would have come up with it. Punting <laughs> yeah. as opposed you're, to you're, you're quitting. tanking. Yeah, just you're just punting. These two games. It's just kind of, you know, we're just not going to go for right. it this fourth and right. long. That's and it, it is a virtual certainty that Murray will not play tonight. And I took note that he played 36 minutes last night, as you did, yeah, I did. Uh, earlier in the show today, and you were not thrilled. No. I was not thrilled either. But Malone's explanation was, well, he's not going to play tonight in Phoenix. And Malone suggested there was uh, the very real possibility that Jokic would also not play. Yeah, we'll find out about that. And, of course, we'll have the tournament games uh, as well. But it is the Avalanche we're going to pay attention to because they have an enormous game, especially after that loss uh, to Minnesota. Now Dallas, the other team in the mix in their division. Joining us to talk about it is Aaron Anderson. Uh, of course, you can catch him over at Fox 31 at KDVR. Follow him on Twitter, Aaron Anderson, A-R-R-A-N. And that's Anderson, S-E-N at the end. Uh, Aaron, good to talk to you. Uh, excited to get to do this. Uh, I, I've been... Help doing your program for a little bit, and so thanks for uh, some returning the favor. My pleasure. Great to hear both of your voices, uh, and um, I'm excited. It's not at midnight. I get a chance to talk to you guys in the daytime, and that means a lot. <laughs> we honestly, well, it's we, past our bedtime. Yeah, too. we at don't mind that. Uh, we don't mind that ourselves, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, we we talk about the Avalanche now. They lose that game to Minnesota. It was their third opportunity to actually yeah. take control of the Central that's gone by the wayside. Sandy made the argument, I think rightly so, that was probably the last best chance. Nevertheless, you have games in front of you, and maybe that means you're going to play the Dallas Stars in that first round. This is a game you want to make sure that you get ahead of that, so if they've got to come to your barn, right? Yeah, that, that's a, absolutely the case, because if the season ended today, Dallas would be hosting that series. And what, a, what an opportunity missed. On Wednesday night, you look back on that game, and the first three goals were all off miscues. And yeah. you know, Jared Bednar said after the fact, he just didn't feel like they were engaged early. Exactly. And I wonder what it takes. I mean, that was as close to a playoff atmosphere as you're going to find at this point in the season. And for guys not to be ready from the jump to go, just it boggles the mind because, again, you win that game, you're certainly in the driver's seat. Now you find yourself three points back of uh, the Wild, hoping you can catch them, but... As you alluded, uh, a win tomorrow, and uh, gotta believe they're gonna feel good about hosting the Stars in that first round series, if indeed that's the way it plays out. Before we look ahead and go back, let's go back to that Minnesota game, as you pointed out. It's it's interesting too when you look, and arguably the four worst players for the Avalanche on the ice were Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, and. Larry Nachushkin and Kale McCarr. I mean, but uh, Bednar said he wasn't talking about those guys, right? But but they were poor. And so when you talk about you know a playoff type atmosphere, what kind of it? You didn't have uh, the energy from some of the other guys, but also you didn't have your stars play like stars. Uh, that was just kind of a recipe for disaster. Is that something you look at it and think it's a one off, or the way you alluded to it before, it's hard to envision a more playoff like atmosphere? Does that concern you about how it will look when the Stanley Cup playoffs begin? Well, I, I think the question I've had all along is, as we look back at, at last year, so many things fell into place, right? They, they had the COVID break just before Christmas that just kind of galvanized this group, and they went off on that great run 
through the end of the year and into the end of January. This year, it seems like it's just been a nonstop issue, whether it be injuries or just kind of uneven play that has just kind of doomed this team where you're just waiting for them to take off. And Granted, we're talking about a team that's won eight of the last ten games, right? So it, it's not like record-wise they're playing badly. But, gosh, you, you think about the game certainly on Wednesday against uh, the Wild and then even against the Penguins where it just didn't seem like they were there. And I, I don't know if that's a harbinger of things to come, but it's certainly puzzling because it is – this team does get healthy, and the hope, obviously, is that Gabe Landeskog returns, that this team's able to click into that playoff mode and, and make another deep run of the into the postseason. But the, the, the way they came out, I think, is troubling for me because I just don't know that the stakes could have been higher. I mean, wh- what does it take to get this team jacked up and ready to go early? You know, you, you had the Georgiev miscue that, that led to the first goal, and then you have... Sam Gerard get kind of outfoxed in front of the net uh, on a loose fox. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said outfoxed because I thought in that particular instance he was outfoxed more than he was outmuscled. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's one of those goals, Sandy, that you kind of tip your cap. I mean, it was like a backhand no-look fling. But for for whatever reason, Gerard just wasn't able to get, a, you know, a stick on that puck. And before you know it, you're down 2-1, 2-1 again when you just – kind of got the fans whipped up because right. the game was tied. So, I don't know. Listen. I agree with you. I thought that was actually the big goal of the game. People say it was the shorthanded goal that made it 3-1. Yeah. to one. I disagree. I thought the 2-1 goal uh, was the big one. And, uh, you know, obviously the first one, Bednar had a great line after the game. Well, we, we would hope that uh, we would pass it to our team rather than <laughs> to the other team. Uh, you know, so I, but and but but I thought his critique was good. I, I, I want to get your reaction just to this observation that I had about the game. I, I thought the key to it was that Minnesota was able to match Colorado's speed. I, I didn't get the feeling watching the wow. game that there was a big gap between the two teams, and it was a gap that, in terms of speed, should have favored the Avalanche. I didn't see that. And yeah. I thought in terms of muscularity, Minnesota was clearly the aggressor. And mm-hmm. uh, the proof of that was Cogliano and Newhook in particular getting flattened with good, yeah. clean, hard checks. And Cogliano even had to leave the game for a while. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, God, that's a great point. And I hadn't considered that. I. I guess my hunch, Sandy, would be that maybe the physicality neutralized the avalanche speed. I never, I guess I, I haven't oh, thought. Oh, I, I, I th- no, you're exactly right. That's, yeah. that, that you're making the point more concisely than I did. But that, that yeah. was it. That for yeah. one night anyway, muscularity beat speed. And they were able yeah, to match no. the speed, but the muscularity made the abs look slower than they normally are. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, isn't that going to be the blueprint moving forward? You sure it is. Try to body these it was the blueprint up. last year for beating them, even with Landis and, and 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 when you reduce the abs on that level, it makes sense. Sense that this game came down to mistakes, which it did, right? Um, if, if the abs had been able to play straight up and play a little bit more consistently, uh, they may have won that game. You could make the argument, but again, it, I think it goes back to the point that they were on their heels. It, it seemed like in in. The Wild seemed to, to be ready to go, and the Avalanche were maybe a step behind early on. Well, and the, coming into this game, they can't afford that. And it is funny, kind of hearing you guys talk about it, I wondered a little bit, 
Or were the abs maybe too amped up? Were they making mm-hmm. mistakes because they were a little too excited about the possibility here and, and thinking that there this was an opportunity mistakes, to throw away? So maybe you mental mistakes in which yeah. maybe they were a little too amped up. Uh, that's what uh, it's an un, an unusual performance for them. So they have an opportunity to get right uh, against the Stars. The big advantage they have in this game is the Stars will play tonight on the road against mm-hmm. Arizona. The Avs are right. rested, but that also means no excuses for tomorrow. It can't look anything well, like the last time that we saw them play the Stars. No, absolutely. And isn't it nice that the schedule maker has finally given the Avalanche the advantage in a back-to-back after having so many games where there's a team waiting on them, right? <laughs> Especially a road game of we've seen so many times throughout this season. Yeah, it's certainly the, the fact that you've got a team on the back end is going to be a benefit at playing them at, at home as well. Um, yeah, listen, I, 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 did, I, I hate to use the term must win, but at this stage in the season, we're talking about home ice in round one. This is as close as you're going to get, and they better come out and play tomorrow right off the jump, or else, geez, we're going to start. We're going to be having a conversation next week about, you know, what does it take for Jared Bednar to re-energize this team? We'll use the, the great um, Mark Kisler's line. He can't just be a Ken doll on the bench. He's got to energize these guys, right? Yeah, the funny thing about that column, and I, I haven't had a chance to uh, – see mark in a in a while but uh next time i see him uh i'm i'm, I'm gonna remind him that there was a photograph above that column of bednar red in the face screaming at his players <laughs> so it didn't quite the, the photograph didn't quite match the point that the, the column was trying to make but i i do i i it, it, as long as we're talking about bednar i i went back today and looked at a number of their leading players, McKinnon, Rett, and Nashushkin, McCarr, Taves, Byram, Gerard, Newhook. You know, sort of at random, but most of that, those guys are uh, either regulars or great stars on the team. And you know what surprised me? That the numbers from last year to this year, which I had anticipated before I looked it up, would be vastly different in a okay. negative direction. They weren't. Most of them were virtually identical to where they were last year. And I had forgotten McKinnon missed 17 games last year. He'll actually play, probably play in more games this year than he did last year. And his production reflects that. He's yeah. he's on his way, on a pace at least, to get 100 points for the first time in his career. Rantanen has 92 points, uh, had 92 points last year. He has 88 this year. Nishushkin, 52 and 43. I thought there'd be a huge difference. No, not really. And Nishushkin missed 20 games last year. I had forgotten about that. Makar, well, 77 games last year, only 59 this year to date. His numbers are down from 86 to 66, but points per game, no real Mm -hmm. difference. In fact, it might be better this year. Than it was last year, point per game basis. Uh, Taves has half as many goals, basically, but otherwise pretty close. Uh, Byram only played 30 games last year. He'll play 40 plus this year, uh, and he's doubled his goal total from last year. He's been better, at least in the regular season. Gerard, about the same, maybe even a little better this year, at least offensively. And Newhook had 13 goals last year. He has 13 goals this year. Does that surprise you? 
and it it might account. Uh, you know, I've given Bednar a lot of the credit uh, for for their hanging in there as well as they have for the most part this year. But sure. actually, the player production isn't that much different. No, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it is surprising when you think about it, but then when you look at the game's loss to injury, somebody's had to step up to fill that void, right? So it, I, I guess it, it all evens out in the end. Um, yeah, the bottom line is, you know, for as much heat as we could give Jared Bednar for maybe not having this team ready to go, I don't know that there's a better coach to have handled a season in which there's been so many injuries totally and so agree. many lineups totally and, and everything else has gone on with it. You know, when they extended him last week, I thought that was the biggest no-brainer of all. And I never did Absolutely. what the numbers I, I never heard what the numbers were, Sandy, but he is worth every penny. And let's not forget, there wasn't a big difference between Jared Bednar last year and what people are saying about Michael Malone this year, which is, hey, you know, if if we can't, you know, hang a banner in Ball Arena he I agree. I agree. I agree. And Bednar was under the same parallel. pressure last year, produced a yes, championship. Exactly right. And now we regard Jared Bednar, um, well, I say we, at least I do, as at the very least the best coach in the history of the Colorado Avalanche, if not the best coach in franchise history. And I think he's yeah. probably the best coach in franchise history if he's the best coach in Avalanche history. <laughs> yeah, Avalanche obviously more significant right. than, uh, than Quebec's for the most part. So, uh, Basically, our last one for you, when you look at the Avs, the way they've played, they, they have fought through a lot of adversity. Sandy kind of went over the, the points, and now the drop-off has not been so severe. Mm-hmm. If this team is healthy, let, let's say that they get their guys back. Manson should be back virtually at any time. Uh, Lekkonen right. is a broken finger, you know, maybe second round, but when he won't need to like get back in shape. You know, it's, it'll be, it's fine when it's fine. Landis Gog is different. Does this team still have Stanley Cup potential if healthy? And if they don't, how far do you think they go? Oh, gosh, I think they absolutely have Stanley Cup potential. There's, there's no doubt. It, it, look, I, I think there's, as you look back at last year, there were so many things that went right. And there were so many intangibles that go into a championship season. There's a part of me that wonders if this team ever will be right after dealing with so much adversity. And then, you know, you bring up a great point, which would be, if these guys come back, how much time would it take for you to get that continuity it takes, to that familiarity to make a deep run. And, and I don't know what the answer is. I, I think everybody points to Gabe Landeskog and says, hey, as soon as he's good to go, we've got everything we need. I don't know. I, I think there's going to be a break-in period where, where they're going to try to figure well, out how well, he fits in. Jared Bednar on. said exactly that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, I, I look, based on the, the roster that's back, the, the quality of players that they retained and Good gosh, did we miss Nazem Kadri right now? Wouldn't you pay to have him in the fold? Um, I, I still believe this team has what it takes to make a deep run. I think they're a cup contender, and I will say this, regardless of how they looked on Wednesday night, this is the last team you want to see in, in a seven-game series because, as we know, this is a talented group, and if they catch lightning in a bottle, it's going to end up with another Stanley Cup. We may have another parade. He is Aaron Anderson. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, Aaron Anderson. That's A-R-R-A-N, and Anderson with an S-E-N. And catch him, of course, on Fox 31 Night League. So, so good to talk to you. I really appreciate your insight here. Hopefully we get a chance to do this again soon. Hey, great to hear you both. And, uh, hey, let's hope we have a good game on April Fool's Day. Yes, indeed. <laughs> they, they need it. Thanks right. so much. 
Okay, guys. All right, Aaron, joining us there. And I, I think the two of you back and forth, uh, literally just listening to both of you go back and forth on that, the, the preparation for the abs or maybe just the enthusiasm of the avalanche players themselves, maybe noting this was an opportunity that they had missed a couple times that has slipped through their hands. So watching how they recap or sort of, I sort of say regroup, pardon me, and put this all together for Saturday's game is going to be interesting because the expectation is you should beat a Dallas team in Denver. That's on the second night of a road back to back. But I have some numbers that Avs fans aren't going to love. They're a little nerve wracking. I'll go through them. They may or may not mean something. We'll talk about it next on my life sports. Back in the days we wanted everything, wanted everything. Mama said, bring your bag of fees, we write. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. We are talking about the Avalanche and their big game against Dallas tomorrow. We have a caller on our call, call and text line, by the way. That's 303-831-1340. Dave, uh, Dave, what's up? Happy Friday. Hey, uh, I got called you the night before the Minnesota game. Yeah? I keep coming away with the Avalanche lacking something. And I keep coming to, to me, it's Makar. Good luck. Uh, the is, I, I don't... I don't see the amazement of him doing great stuff in the big games as much this year. Well, you know? some of that is availability, of course. You, you realize I mean, right? he, play, good, he played but... 77 games last I'm not talking about his numbers now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm making a point about availability. He's played 18 fewer games this year. That, that's part of it. However, yeah, however, in support of what you're saying, in support of what you're saying, I thought he was terrible the other night. And inexplicably so. And I, I think he acknowledged that, uh, maybe not as directly, but acknowledged that it wasn't nearly good enough. Uh, I thought he was bad. I thought I, I thought they had two good defensemen the other night, Byram and Taves. That was it. And Gerard was okay in the third period when he was playing with Taves. But in the first two periods, he played with Byram, and he was awful. Uh, McCarr was bad. He was bad the other night, and Sean just made the point. I mean, for the guys who let him down because they're the best players, yeah, they're, they're all minus three. Right. McKinnon, Rantan, Nishushkin, and obviously McCarr. So it, to, to your point, that criticism, I think, would apply to the game the other night. I'm not sure I would accept it as a general proposition uh, this year that – you know, we haven't seen as much of the spectacular stuff. Part of that is because he's played 18 fewer games, so he's had 18 fewer chances to show spectacular stuff. And the two concussions, uh, you know, he didn't have any last year, as far as we know, right? Right. That's part of yeah, it. Yeah, two sure. this year within a period of about three weeks. That being said, that that's very true with the concussions. It's just that it seems like with hockey, you can take the puck out of one guy's hands. And that's what they seem to be doing. They're limiting his chances this year more than I've than I seen the year before. Everybody's focused on him because they don't want him to beat them. Uh, I, I mean, I that, that's a classic hockey move. You remember Steve Miller with the, 
with uh, DU when he went over to Ohio State and how he put it on Jim Montgomery that day because he had a plan. And I see teams teams have watched film, and I, I think they know what to do against McCarr more than they ever had before. Well, there's certainly something to that, Dave. Obviously, you know, the, the more you, you're concerned about it, and, but at the same time, that's that's why you hope you have more options. And, and you still have an explosive player, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rannon is going to be in the top uh, five at bare minimum in goal scoring. So you, you do that, you overcome that. A Stanley Cup team overcomes that with depth. A, a team that has one player of Kale McCarr's caliber generally doesn't go that far. I mean, you have to have more talent than, than one person, even if that person is a Hall of Famer. I mean, look, look at Edmonton. It has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and Dreisaitl is more than just McDavid's wingman, but they don't have a lot else, and as a result, they flame out. And everyone in Edmonton is asking those same questions like you're asking. How can they possibly not be right there because they have Connor McDavid? Uh, this isn't it, it, hockey. Is You're right. It's not basketball. It's it's not looking at a quarterback in football. You can't dictate how often that person gets it, so you have to have more options. Fortunately, the Avalanche have more options. There will be days when Kale McCarr does less. And Nathan McKinnon and company need to do more. There are also days that we've seen uh, where that's not only happened, but it's happened with wins. And there are days when the focus has been on McKinnon or Rantanen, and then uh, McCard does it. You, you win that with depth. You're right. Not everyone's going to be able to, in every game, be able to do everything they want to do. But the Avalanche have the depth to overcome the fact that from time to time, Kale McCarr uh, is going to be the focus of the defense. The only problem I see going forward is I'm not a big Gerard and Bo Byam together uh, playing no. in Canada. No, but when Manson comes back, you won't see that. When Manson comes back, that's the value of Manson. Neither are the abs. They don't run it that way. With Manson, you don't have to play Byram and Gerard. Because I agree with you. I thought Byram was very, very good the other night. And Gerard playing with Byram was not. And as it happened when I thought very smartly Bednar in the third period changed defense pairings and put Gerard with Taves, Gerard was better in the third period playing with Taves. I would say one other thing very quickly, although the other night did not provide an example of this, to me the problem with the McCarr-Taves pairing this year and the difference between it being great as it was last year and merely good this year is more on Taves than it's on McCarr. The other night, notwithstanding, I I, th- I think I, Taves, I, uh, the drop-off with Taves from last year to this year, and I'm not talking about offense now, I think the drop-off has been greater, though the other night, Taves was their best defenseman the other night. And... McCarr was probably their least effective defenseman the other night in many ways. I mean, nobody else is minus three. The only thing I've seen is in, in the last, what, seven games against playoff teams, they're one and six. That's not a good number. Well, you've hit on a good point because for the year, I think they're 15, 14, and six against playoff teams, mm-hmm. teams that are currently playoff sure. teams. And that is not great. I mean, that's 15 law, lo- uh, 15 wins and 20 losses. And we were talking about the Dallas stars a minute ago. What scares me most about Dallas is that they've only lost 20 games in regulation this year. There are two teams in the league that lost fewer than 20 games in regulation. 
They're both in the East. Carolina, 18, Boston, 12. They're better than anybody in the West when it comes to fewest regulation losses. That and their goaltender would scare me in a seven-game series with or without home ice advantage. They don't lose in regulation. It is uh, it is a concern. And, and Dave, thank you for the call. It's, it's uh, nice to get those really you know sort of thoughtful calls that there, there's a substance to it. Thanks a lot for the call, Dave. But the... That that's a that's an interesting point, Sandy. Because yeah, there is the reality that that's that's a concern. And and when you look at the the history against Dallas, when and I, I tracked all the numbers for all the current Avalanche against the Stars over the course of their career. Obviously, not all of them been with the Avs, but out of the Avalanche today, there are eight players that have a positive plus minus against the Stars in their career in total. In total, number one is Gabriel Landeskog, even though he's played two fewer games than Nathan McKinnon, he's plus 25, 31 points in 34 games against the Stars, and a plus 25. McKinnon, he can match the belligerence of the with Stars. The physicality. Nathan McKinnon is number two, 33 points in 36 games with plus 12. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the number three player with plus nine, with seven points in 17 games, is Josh Manson. So the, the guys who have had the biggest success against the Stars in their career, number one and number three, when you're talking from about plus minus, one and three are not with them tonight. And then you you go down to Eric Johnson, who's a plus eight in 52 games, 18 points in 52 games. Cogliano, most of it not with the Avs, a plus five, 22 points in 49 games. And then you get to Kale McCarr, seven points in 10, which is very good. But over those 10 games, a total of plus two. Beyond that, only Darren Helm and Brad Hunt even have a positive plus-minus at a plus-one. And go look at Pavelski's career numbers against the Avalanche. He is the ultimate Avalanche killer. And any team he's on, and he has been on in recent years, Dallas, that's trouble for the Avalanche. When Joe Pavelski is on the other bench, he kills the Avalanche. Uh, He has, yeah, historically been... Kills him, historically. And I mean, not just raw production, but... Big goals. On Dallas, and your your instinct is right. On Dallas. In big games. In 52 games against the Avalanche in his career, wherever he played him. Pavelski has 20 goals, 24 points for 44, or 24 assists, pardon me, 44 points in total. A plus 22. Uh, That's a career shot percentage of 12.7. He's dangerous. He's dangerous, and he's a fine player. 11 power play goals in his career against the Avs in 52 games. He is a Hall of Famer against the Avalanche. He is a fine player, but against the Avalanche, he's Hall of Famer. Yeah, beyond that, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, who always seems to pop up as a dangerous guy, 43 points in 53 games, pretty yep. close. Not the same plus minus, just a career plus one, not the ridiculous. But that's the number with Pavelski that jumps out. With plus Pavelski 22. While getting 44 points in 52 games. In 52 games, he's plus 22. <laughs> yeah, with 11 Has he ever goals. been on the ice for a goal against? And by the way, I mean, I won against the Avs, <laughs> four game-winning goals. Against the Avs in his career just for Pavelski. Just, just against, against the Avalanche. I mean, yikes. And, that... and, and they're they're not goals that make it 4-1 and the final score is 4-3. And you want another word? They're goals that come when it's 3-3 three three and they win the game 4-3. Miko Randon has 1-22. McKinnon has 1-22. The only people on the Avs that have more than one game winning goal against the Avs against their career, Gabriel Landeskog and Josh Manson. 
That's it. Yeah. Neither one of those guys will be playing tonight. So that's, well, they're, they're that's dangerous. concerning. Uh, and, they're, and you look at that they're top dangerous line. to me. Uh, the Avs did win two games earlier in the season against Dallas, but Dallas is a different team now. And there are two things about Dallas. Uh, they're terrible in overtime, but overtime is different than the playoffs. It's it's five on five. Yeah. It's not three on three. Uh, Dallas isn't as good three on three. Dallas, I don't know how many of the games have been shootouts, but if there have been a few, they obviously aren't very good in those. Their winning percentage in overtime and shootouts is terrible uh, this year, but they are hard to beat in regulation. Yeah, 50% and, shootout wins and, and losses three and three. And they have a great goaltender who is capable of stealing a series, not just a game or two, yeah. stealing a series. He's good enough. I and agree with that. They, you know, we'll talk more about Georgiev in the coming days and weeks. But I think the flaw with Georgiev for some people is that he has not been tested at any time in his career under great pressure, uh, playoff pressure. And the times during the season in which he's been challenged in big games as opposed to playing in big cities, uh, including New York, mm-hmm. against his former team. Yes, he was terrific on that one occasion, and he's played well in other places against good teams. But in big games, i.e. at Dallas, here against Pittsburgh, and here the other night against Minnesota, he's played in all three games. I'm not saying he's the reason they've lost them or even a primary reason, but he has not been great. When he's bad, and a he's lot bad. of goals have been scored against the Avalanche in each of those three It games. is the truth. And when you're looking at, at guys that need to step up, obviously they're going to need Georgiev. But uh, you look at Valerian Nachushkin, originally drafted by Dallas, started his career with Dallas. Only seven games against Dallas in his career, but only one point and a minus one in that. And you look at Miko Rantanen, 22 games. That's enough of a sample size. Five goals, seven assists, and even zero so, so. at plus minus. So, Needs so. to be better. But but uh, Jake Edinger, 32 wins in his 56 games, 2.47 goals against a 918 save percentage. But maybe the F strategy is uh, get to the shootout. Yeah. In 11, 11 shootout shots tomorrow. against. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's okay to get into overtime tomorrow against them. Although, they do get one point even if you beat right. them. And that, you don't want them don't to want get that. any points. But Edinger in the shootout, you're exactly right has surrendered eight goals on 11 attempts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gurgia has been better weird. than that in one shootout. No, I understand. And <laughs> I mean, But, again, one. Uh, Georgiev has more wins. The save percentage, I think, is identical. Uh, the goals against, it's under 2.5 for Ettinger. It's a 2. little 5 over. 2.55 for Georgiev. 2. 5 and, for and Georgiev. Georgiev is 919 uh, save. Th- there's not, just 918. My point right being, there. statistically, statistically, there is not much to choose between the two, no. but as a big game goaltender, we've seen Ettinger in the playoffs yep. almost steal a series last year against as recently as last year. Yeah, against the best goal scorer in the game. So, right. yeah, that's obviously a concern, but they will play tonight at Arizona. Arizona actually good at home, despite the fact they're not terribly good overall. And and even better for the as that uh, will be an 830 faceoff time, Denver time for Dallas. So they have a late start, have to come into Dallas. Not that I, I mean, come, come to Denver, not that that's a long trip, 
but then they have to play that very next uh, night, less they have to play about 22 and a half hours later, yeah. uh, plus travel. So the Avs should have the the advantage of the game they need to put away as it stands right now. Avs, the Stars, both 94 points, but uh, if the, as our guest Arn Anderson correctly put it, a little bit ago, where the playoffs start today, Dallas would host that series. So the that Avs correct. need to get it done on Saturday. Absolutely. The Nuggets tonight play the Phoenix Suns in other circumstances, that would be an exciting, exciting game. But in this one, maybe they don't have to win. But if you're injured, you have to win. You should talk to our friends at Burnham Law. That's 720-845-7001. Hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. Locations all over the state for Collins and Boulder, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, uh, Westminster, the DTC, and even as north as Cheyenne. When you're injured, they push to get your maximum recovery, whether it's by settlement or whether by trial. So they will fight for you when you're injured and seriously hurt. Go somewhere where you can get the best for your maximum recovery, and that's Burnham Law. Check them out, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. We'll look at some basketball, not only the Nuggets, but the collegiate variety coming up as well next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It's Friday. Very happy Friday. Pat yourself on the back. You made it. You're going to get some basketball. You're going to get some hockey, too. We just talked about that a little bit. But we are going to talk about the Nuggets for a smidge. The Nuggets, after a losing last night, 19-point loss to the Pelicans, in which Nikola Jokic very wisely sat the game out. Now it appears that maybe Jamal Murray will sit this one out, hopefully, as the Nuggets, as I, think as it's I put it. Probably more than a maybe. They, I think it's pretty close to a sure thing that he will not play. these games. That's the right. term I'm using. They're not throwing it away. They're, no. not, they're, they're, no. they're just punting. Sometimes on fourth and two, you decide, nah, we're not, we don't need to go for it at this stage. And uh, with, with the lead in the Western Conference that they have, uh, go ahead and get some rest for those guys, and plus the teams that you might lose to. It's to your advantage that they get wins, and you can sort of directly influence that. So why not? Yes. Uh, it, you have a chance to influence uh, some of these uh, outcomes that you would prefer. Uh, you, you can't directly affect them. Uh, I, I don't think Phoenix will catch Sacramento for third. It's possible. Certainly, it would be essential if they were to do that. It would be essential to beat the Nuggets twice at home. Yes. If they have hopes of catching Sacramento. Yes. They would almost, regardless of what Sacramento does or doesn't do, and they would the, have to beat the Nuggets twice the at Nuggets home. The Nuggets can influence well, that, game, as you said. Yeah. The first game may be easier than you might have expected uh, from the Phoenix point of view two or three days ago. And it certainly would not bother uh, Messrs. Booker and Aiton if Murray and Jokic did not play tonight. No. They could take the night off from the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. And, and in, in this case, look, Denver doesn't care. They have a three-game lead on Memphis with six games to play. Exactly. 
And so you, you have to, you know, you figure that out basically, and right? Did Memphis lose at home? Uh, yes, Memphis lost their last game. So think about it. I mean, so, right, I mean really, basically. It's not like Memphis has been galloping no. up right uh, behind Unless, you. unless I'm mistaken. I mean, help me with the math, right? The Nuggets were to say, you know, lose. You know, every time they lose, you know, they, and Memphis wins, obviously Memphis gains a game. But you're talking about Memphis needing to win not only three but four more games than the Nuggets because the Nuggets have the head-to-head right. tiebreaker. And that is the tiebreaker in the NBA. Not in the NHL, by right. the way, but in the NBA it is head-to-head. And the Nuggets remaining games after games. this one, home against Golden State at Houston, at Phoenix again, so if the Nuggets at Utah win, and Sacramento. If the Nuggets win two games, two games in their final ones, Memphis has to win out. Correct. Win out. Correct. And so... Both have six games left. You have to be able to – You the, the Nuggets have an opportunity to play with this a little bit. That's just the reality of their they situation. Do. They do. And in a, a back-to-back night, why would you play your star against a very difficult Phoenix team? Don't. Don't play your stars. Don't worry about it. Let the – let you know, get, get Aaron Gordon those minutes back that Michael Malone forgot to give him in, in the previous game. Um, give Michael Porter Jr. a little more time, too, to, to, to play a little better. And get, he, he was not good last and night. And get that bench. He was not good last Get night. that bench gelling. Find a way to get them more yeah, than I, just Bruce Brown I and Christian Brown. I thought they were okay. Yeah. I, I thought they were okay And I actually don't night. even think, even in the, he only had the 14 minutes and technically started, I don't even really think Bryant was all that bad either. Yeah, he wasn't great, but he's not the focal point of the offense. He's there to take a space, grab some rebounds. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I'm disappointed. I, I, I thought I expected would, more, but I really he, like I think that you have trade. to understand that he was playing 22 minutes a game with the Lakers and starting when Davis was out, which represented quite a few starts for him. Yes. And now here he comes and he's backing up Jokic and he never plays. Doesn't play. And now he's entirely out of the rotation unless Jokic doesn't play. And then he starts, which is the right move because you want to keep your bench rotation intact and try to get some stability and consistency on your bench. So you move Bryant, who's out of the rotation, into the starting lineup, and he'll play about 12 or 14 minutes as he did last night. Yeah, so we'll see how that that goes. But I, I would expect the Nuggets to get beaten in this game. I don't think they care, quite frankly. But, I mean, no. t- tonight, look, the, the big game for the Nuggets isn't even the Nuggets game. It's the Clippers and the Grizzlies. That's the game that that's interesting to watch, uh, as is. well as the Lakers and the, uh, the Timberwolves. It is, and you, you have a little bit of an eye out on Los Angeles, although – they are load managing Leonard and George is hurt. Right. So a lot of Bose Island. for every game they don't have George. Pretty much from here on out, yeah. you would think. Right? Uh Bones Highland getting additional playing time and taking advantage of mm-hmm. it. Um good for him. Uh it didn't end well here, but uh uh things never end well, do they? Right. Or, or almost never end well because they end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's part of it. And what ended for Bones Highland was his playing time, which he thought should have been four or five minutes more per game, uh, more than they were. And so he reacted unprofessionally to that. Uh, and extremely. was for that unprofessional reaction and perhaps additional reasons shipped out. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you're exactly right with the uh, happy endings. What was it? Shell Silverstein, but, uh, the old uh, again to poet. to to uh, break down what I was saying earlier in in longer form. The only thing that it seems the Nuggets don't really want to see is New Orleans in eighth place when the playoff starts, and Phoenix in fourth place when the playoff starts. 
That's what they don't want to see. Right. Right. That's, that's anybody the else fix. in fourth. Yeah, except you, you Phoenix, don't want to have to run anybody else in eighth except for New Orleans. That's the trick, I think, is you don't want to run that gauntlet. And for the Nuggets, they can do a little bit with that. They can give uh, Phoenix a little help tonight. And I mean, look, it's less about giving Phoenix a hand. That's a bonus. It's more about getting uh, uh, some rest for your stars that desperately. Oh, need I it think so. Because sure. you have sure. you have earned it by being where you are at this stage in the season. You have earned the right to get your guys some rest. Yeah, and again, Sacramento is five games ahead of Phoenix with six games right. to go. So even Pretty if secure. Phoenix wins both against Denver, they're almost certainly not going to catch Sacramento. But the Nuggets wouldn't mind at all if that did happen. Uh, they also wouldn't mind, they wouldn't mind if the Clippers, if the jumped, Clippers jumped Phoenix oh, the, the beating- and had home court. Against Phoenix in the first round, and one yeah. of them would have to lose. Clippers obviously. jumping, uh, Clippers jumping Phoenix is much more likely. I don't know how likely it is, but again, you have the Clippers well, and the Grizzlies tonight. It's half a game. Best possible it's outcome half for the Nuggets tonight, as opposed yeah. to five games. So yeah, Nuggets the Clippers rest have their a better guys. chance at overtaking Phoenix than Phoenix has of overtaking Sacramento. So tonight, if the Nuggets rest their guys and the Clippers can knock off Memphis, it's the ideal setup. For the Nuggets tonight. It is. So uh, we will see how that goes. I mean, obviously, you know, they wouldn't gain any ground on Phoenix, but for the Nuggets, rest is more important than just about anything. And and, and the Nuggets, I I suspect, may have a little bit of an eye on Minnesota, too. uh, Probably not their favorite team to play in the first round if it came to Minnesota. I don't love the Lakers either with LeBron being there. It's not going to be easy. I agree. Minnesota would actually be a team I think they they could handle. They happen to match up against them well. Uh, Jokic is confident against Gobert and uh, Towns. And I actually think of those three big men, the one who's the most dangerous right now of the three bigs they've got is Nas Reed. More so, more so than playing, Gobert playing and more so than Towns, who's coming off an injury that caused him to miss, what, 50 games, 52 games, whatever yeah. it was. Long time he was out. And Gobert never frightens me at all, particularly against Jokic. It is almost, almost, it's 23 months since Kevin Durant has played against the Denver Nuggets. We'll see how that goes. Hasn't played since back in May of 2021 because of the uh, collection of injuries. Uh, That's not an MB ducking it. It's just, he's been, he's been, uh, that tells you how much he's been hurt. He's been hurt. He's been hurt with greater frequency than Anthony Davis who's in terms street clothes Davis by some. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, actually, Durant has been less reliably healthy than Davis has been. And Zion Williamson tops the list in terms of well, yeah. lack of availability. Yep. So Nuggets hopefully get some rest. The uh, Avalanche, of course, hope to get their themselves back in order against Dallas. We'll take a quick peek before uh, before we head out of here at, of course, the college basketball games. I know we're going to be paying attention to those final four games, which are going to be pretty interesting. Uh, who have you got, Sandy? I've got San Diego State over Florida Atlantic. Uh, that's I, I think defense beats offense in that game. I do, too. Um, I, I, I've been thrilled by the first two weekends of the tournament. The problem with the final four is you have underdog against underdog, and I always like favorite against underdog. And I'm sure... San Diego State and Florida Atlantic expected to be in the Final Four when the tournament began and played with great confidence, but they're both underdogs. One's a five seed, one's a nine seed. The other game, that's, to me, a little more attractive because you have a four seed against a five, and Miami's been 
maybe the surprise team on that side of the bracket, certainly uh, surprised a number of teams in the Midwest, uh, including uh, Texas and Houston, the one and two seeds, both of whom were knocked off by Miami. So Miami will have no trouble getting, uh, developing confidence in the, in the game against UConn. But I like UConn. I like San Diego State. And uh, we'll talk Monday about the championship game. But UConn, to me, is far better than the other. And, and you've been saying that essentially since the, uh, the round of 32. So we'll see if that continues to hold up. We're going to step aside. Thanks to Arn Anderson for joining us. Thanks for uh, everyone who interacted on the uh, our line. It's 303-831-1340. Now you want to use it to wish the birthday boy a happy birthday. Coming up next, uh, Anilo Piero, afternoon drive. And... Uh, our Denver Bronco reporter slash Instagram model slash birthday boy, Cody Rourke. They're coming up next. For Sandy, I'm Sean. Have a great, safe, and happy weekend. Join us next time on Mile High Sports.